Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Hello Future podcast. In this episode I chat to Andrew Oldroyd who is an innovation technologist at AstraZeneca and a tinkerer with all new tech, whether that be VR, machine learning or blockchain to name a few. Andy talks about how he followed his passion for innovative tech to land a job where he is genuinely excited to go to work every day. Hi Andrew, thanks for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to our chat because I haven't spoken or seen you for ages now. In fact, I can't remember how many years it is, but I think you were part of the first sixth form year that that I taught. So if you could just give the listeners a little bit about your background and, and a summary of what you do now. Sure. So it's good to be here. I'm Andy Oldroyd and I work as an innovation technologist at AstraZeneca. So it's essentially a software engineering role. I work in the lab specifically and we look at providing insights and recommendations into many current and emerging technologies. In the labs, it's quite good because we get to be hands-on and actually build proof of concepts and minimum viable products. So it's not just about finding an interesting technology like virtual reality, augmented reality, or even machine learning and AI, we actually get to build things and push it out to our customers. Innovation technologists must be one of the best job titles I've heard. It's uh, much better than a software engineer. So how, how did your job develop into that sort of innovation technologist rather than just a, a software engineer? Sure. So it was a bit of a random journey. So I studied software engineering at university and went out looking for a job pretty much anywhere in the country and ended up in Cambridge. They have a lot of things in the life sciences and pharmaceuticals area here. And I started off kind of in a testing, uh, then moving into like a software engineering role, really. I was very lucky. It was a bit of chance here, but I managed to build a few proof of concepts in my spare time outside of work that I could then um, show to people there and made it a bit more official over time uh, that I got to work on these kinds of projects really and it built up from there after a while I started it was only recently uh, but I managed to change roles into a team where I'm working on this kind of stuff absolutely full time. I'm not entirely sure what you mean when you're saying uh, like proof of concept. Sure so yeah it's it's essentially around an interesting technology comes out for example something like virtual reality and what I'll be able to do is, first of all, scout this technology is what we'd call it, but discover that it exists and be aware of it, have it on our radar, start talking to the business about it and maybe asking them, is this the kind of like thing that could be useful to you? And the first thing we'd do is build a little proof of concept uh, just in the labs ourselves. So we would essentially kind of play with the technology. It doesn't have to be related to a business use case, but we would make something with it to prove that we can and that we understand, you know, the the basics about the technology and how it works. From there, we could show that demo to a relevant person in the business and go, do you see where this is going? What about if we used it for this use case that they've got? And then we might even be able to get a bit of funding from them or something, scale it up and determine if this is something that they might want to invest a bit more heavily in in the business, but without having to spend massive amounts of money. So typically a large enterprise company will want to work with like external consultancies and things to build this stuff. And it's eye-wateringly expensive. We can do that potentially a lot cheaper in the labs and we get to retain that knowledge internally as well. Have you got any real life examples that you can 
discuss. I, I mean, I don't know how much you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say. So, yeah, I guess I need to read through the NDAs and stuff I've signed. But, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that I can talk about, really. But at a high level, it's going to be pretty much any technology that we'd be looking at. So historically, there's a lot going on in the machine learning and artificial intelligence space. That's kind of been more productionized now. So that's actually rolled out and happening in the business, really, uh, which means our team don't do as much with it. We really look at the new and emerging things, or at least new to this company. Things that are in production, we tend not to support as much. It's kind of a, a done deal then. Uh, and we've handed it over to a team to, to run it. The stuff that we're looking at now, there's a lot of focus on uh, virtual reality and augmented reality, or the umbrella term for all of that is now extended reality or XR, which um, we're trying to get that terminology across to the business. Essentially, it's, it's going to be building pretty much any technology you can think about. I mean, there's even some really far future things out there like quantum computing and stuff, which I think is still a way away, but it really is just any technology that could disrupt or be of use to the business and might change how we work. We want to make sure that we're aware of it so that we can be planning a path for where we want to go with it. Yeah. Now, so you've said a lot about like how this might be used. Now, I know you work for AstraZeneca. Now, I'll be honest, the I know they're, they're a huge organization, but first time I heard of them was when the COVID vaccine uh, has come out. So are they a pharmaceutical or is it bigger than that? Are they, do they do other stuff? So, yeah, it is a pharmaceutical company, uh, I think, specializing in um, targeted care and things like that, really. So um, like more targeted medicines than perhaps some of the generics you would get at other other companies. Uh, but yeah, it's it is a pharmaceutical company, but as with any large organization, I think the saying goes, every company is an IT company. Um, they've got a very, very large IT footprint. So it's significantly larger than other companies I've worked at. Uh, I think I'm making this number up, but I want to say it's like around four and a half thousand people or so in IT, um, which is you know larger than some organizations. So there's, there's a lot going on to support all of that, even though it is a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, so are these, innovative technology you've talked about if they're making these pharmaceuticals where does the, the innovation technology is it in the labs is it is it more than sort of pharmaceuticals where they're sort of developing other things to support people with certain issues or like yeah, sure. so if it's drug design that would happen somewhere else so i work in the technology innovation team and there's many innovation teams across astrazeneca like our team does not own innovation uh, which would be a bad thing you don't want it centralized you want that to be democratized across everyone so we'll focus specifically on the technology side of it i guess you could think of it more from an it perspective but there'll be other teams looking at things specifically within their area so there'll be people who fully understand their part of the business like in the labs and they know what they're doing from like the science point of view and they'll be doing their own innovation but we'll be looking at it a bit more holistically from the technology perspective so overarching and our team will service every area of the business. So we might be working with uh, enabling one day science in R&D another day, and then like operations actually manufacturing things the day after that kind of thing. So we're not focused on any one particular area of the business. I think that makes it a little bit clearer to me now. So I was trying to see the connection between, in my head, I had oh making drugs, and then what you were talking about in terms of this innovative technology and, and how the, the two married up. Yeah, so this would be much more about supporting the business as a whole. And there's there's a lot of support that needs to go in uh, to, to manufacturing 
any any of these kinds of products it's normal well the vaccine is perhaps a bit different and i can't talk too much about that since i'm not part of that team but typically it takes a very very long time for a pharmaceutical company to be able to create a drug and bring it to market i think the typical time and i might be making this up so someone else can look it up but i think it's around 10 years normally to get a a, a new drug from discovery to market yeah so just going back to your job title of in uh, innovation technologist i mean that must be like when people say oh you know what do you do do you just turn around and say, oh, I'm an innovation technologist or like, how do you explain <laughs> yeah. your job? It depends who I'm talking to, really. You know, if they're not an IT person, I tend to just say I'm in IT. <laughs> it depends how, how you want the conversation to go. Or typically to another person who might uh, be more aware of what it is, I'll be introducing myself more as a software engineer. Certainly when I am meeting up with vendors because we work with anything from startups with people in the garage through to the massive Microsoft's Apples and Googles and Facebooks and stuff, uh, where I'll introduce myself a bit more as a software engineer because people tend to know what that is quicker, really. Um, yeah, I, I change kind of like the description of the job depending on who I'm talking to, really. And that's kind of a little bit about uh, what it's about, really. It's about what does a business need here in order to discover this new tech and actually go from that proof of concept into delivering into production because that's that's the hard bit anybody can kind of play with tech and build a naughty example the difficult bit is then and where innovation fails is scaling it into a production environment and actually supporting it in a large-scale enterprise that's not easy no what would you say is kind of like the success rate in terms of the things that you have investigated and looked at and maybe you have made your proof of concept and put it forward how many of those things have have actually been deployed and, and are happening or how many kind of just are like, no, we're not interested? Oh, it's really, really hard to say, actually. Uh, it varies massively. I want to say like maybe one in 10 to truly have handed things over to the business. But a lot of it, it might be that we're doing like, you know, four or five proof of concepts in one technology area. And ultimately that technology ends up in production, but it might be that none of those proof of concepts went further. Some of the stuff that's come out of the labs has indeed been like scaled into the business completely kind of as is, and it's been handed over almost directly. But it's a, a key thing here is more to get the business to understand the technology so that they're making an informed decision when they do invest larger in it, because you need a team to support a lot of this, be it an internal software development team, or maybe even uh, products that we're buying from a vendor. So yeah, may maybe one in 10 things truly progress, I would say. Okay. I thought it was interesting because like uh, many things, you know, you can have loads and loads of ideas and it's not necessarily that all of them are going to be, yeah, this is, this is good. And I, I thought the percentage would be fairly small in terms of those that are actually going to be used. Yeah. And I think of the key technology areas though, almost all of them will be, you know, rolled out in one way or another. So I guess it's a hundred percent of those, pretty much, uh, ultimately. But that's because it's a case of more when rather than if for it. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's it's more about how do we want to roll out this technology? What's going to be useful, and how do we not waste a massive amount of investment in something that's got a lot of hype around it, but isn't necessarily going to provide any real value? That's what we're helping to direct. Okay. So now you're kind of like at the position, can you just, can we just skip back to when you were at school? 
And if you could just explain your path and maybe your influences or uh, how you decided to go down the route you went down. <laughs> sure. So I think I was an awful student, so perhaps don't do exactly what I did. Um, but so I did my A-levels at school rather than going to college or anything like that. Really, I was interested in IT, but I think at the time when I was studying in school, you couldn't do programming as an option, which I remember being quite quite annoyed about. So I did a lot of programming in my spare time. Uh, and yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend it to people now, but procrastinating rather than doing homework and stuff. But the kinds of things I did used to do would be spinning up servers and things like that at home, installing bits of software with terrible documentation. It turns out that's very similar to the kind of stuff that you might have to do in the real world, but you're never going to be taught that at school. Um, but from there, I did manage to scrape through with enough grades to get into De Montfort University, and I studied software engineering there. And that was that was really good for me because that was the first time for me where I felt like the education actually matched up with what I wanted to be doing. So we were learning about programming and the relevant maths for that, uh, and I was going, I can directly see how what I'm learning here is going to be useful to what I want to do in the future. From there, yeah, it was getting like starting in a smaller position um, in Cambridge and just really working my way up to kind of where I am now. But the key thing, I guess, for me that perhaps differentiates me from what others have done is I always have a side project going on. I'm always doing things outside of work anyway, because I'm really passionate about this kind of thing. I find this Tech, like any technology really really interesting so I always want to learn more and from there I was lucky enough to get a job that actually pays me to learn more about technology. Yeah just just going back to a lot at school I, I can remember vividly that you were really into the sort of technical side of things and at the time uh, it was just IT courses and yeah there was certain aspects and skills that probably were transferable into whatever market but I knew you were really keen for like the programming and, and all of that kind of stuff. And just thinking back now, something that sticks into my head, I can remember you were one of the first people that got one of the Nexus, the Google phones, uh, which were running Android. And uh, you were like having to play around and doing stuff with that. And you're always showing, oh, yeah, I've done this, this, and this. And um, as you say, it was like, a lot of sort of procrastinating on other stuff rather than <laughs> yeah. what you maybe should have been focusing on in order to get your high grade and A level but the, I think it was always there within you like you always had that potential and it's so good to hear that going to university and, and focusing on that specific area that you're able to get to where you are now. Yeah and looking back as well I mean <laughs> with hindsight you know you always want to change things but particularly around like some of the maths areas as well you do need to <sighs> understand how it's going to be useful and there's a lot that I had to relearn later on particularly around things like linear algebra and stuff I remember thinking how on earth is this ever going to be useful to me until you start working with real-time 3D engines and graphics rendering and then you really need to know that kind of stuff so I had to relearn a lot of it later so I would recommend to anyone who is not perhaps comprehending why they're learning what they're learning to think a bit further into the future and what they might be doing uh, but that's always hard to do uh, but yeah it, I do wish I paid a bit more attention to some things again particularly around like that maths area and stuff because I had to put in a lot of work later on to relearn what I should have already known by that point. Yeah so when you're at university then and you're doing the is it was it software engineering 
course, did you say? Yeah, well, I went in on computer science, I think it was, and then in my second year swapped to software engineering, which is essentially the same kind of thing, except it was a bit more focused on algorithms and data structure rather than things like agile methodologies, if that means much to anyone. Okay. So you finish university and how do you go about trying to get a job? Is it just a, a matter of looking, searching online and, and sending yeah, your I, CV? I, yeah, I was looking for a job anywhere in the country, which I think helped me there. So I wasn't tied to any geographical location. Um, so I think I had interviews set up in all sorts of places from like Brighton to Cambridge and uh, some in Coventry and stuff. But um, really, I was just looking for the best job I could get. Um, and I kind of wanted to go into more of a software engineering one, but I found a really interesting company in Cambridge that was offering a, it was a testing role. So you'd be testing software rather than developing it, but it was a much more technical one. So you'd be doing uh, like the automation of tests and like unit testing rather than just clicking on buttons on an interface kind of thing. Uh, and the company looked really interesting. So I ended up moving there and that was a really good move for me just because they that particular company allowed a lot of diagonal movement so I could change positions quite easily within the company and I got a lot of experience across the entire board of what you could do in IT from infrastructure type things through to software development and that's really helped me get to where I am now. What did you feel that you got to kind of a stage in that, that company where you wanted to you felt that you within you you wanted to do more and you wanted to sort of expand your sort of knowledge base and stuff which made you then make the move to AstraZeneca or were you always looking so, for the next move or how, how did that come about? Yeah I I was I remember graduating and thinking I'm only going to work at one company for about two years or so before moving on uh, and ended up staying uh, at that company for about seven years or so just because they did allow that kind of movement and I managed to get so much experience within it. I was thinking I might need to move somewhere else because it was a much smaller pharmaceutical company, only about four and a half thousand employees or so. And I was kind of getting to the limits of what I could do there. But I wasn't looking for another job at that point in time. I happened to have somebody from AstraZeneca reach out. Uh, and fun fact, I wasn't necessarily looking to accept the job at the time. I just thought, oh, I'll, I'll get a bit of interview experience uh, so that when I am looking for a new job, I know what I'm doing. But straight away from that first kind of phone call, I knew this is something I wanted to do is kind of exactly what I got to spend part of my time doing in my current role but would be full-time there'd be a much larger team so it wouldn't be just me doing the innovation it would be an entire team of people and yeah that was particularly appealing so how did they find out about you um I run a couple there so I got approached through LinkedIn um where I've got a a network of various people on there but I also do a lot of things that I'm in the community and stuff I used to run meetup groups and things like that as well so I guess my name is around out there if uh, people are looking for me and it was a similar role that I was in so my final title I think at my old place was software engineer and then in parenthesis including new technologies which is a bit wordy and long but um, yeah I guess helps with the search engine optimization and finding those kind of roles. Yeah, definitely. And you just mentioned about meetups. What were they all about? So I used to attend everything before coronavirus, really, um, but all sorts of things of technology in the area. Cambridge is really good in that there's tons and tons of groups doing all sorts of stuff with, well, in pretty much every area, but I was interested more in the technology ones from data science to um, software engineering types of things. I ran a the Cambridge virtual reality meetup group for a number of years as well, which was when 
yeah, virtual reality was much newer then, uh, and I wanted to demo it to as many people as I possibly could. So ran sessions where people had the opportunity to come and try out the various different headsets and things that uh, we'd managed to get our hands on, um, and that was quite cool. These meetups, is it do you just advertise a location and what you're going to be doing, or is it just do you invite certain people and is it like a paid thing or is it is it something that you just do because you like to do it? Sure. So it, it varies. I, we were using the site meetup.com uh, and there's tons and tons of groups on there anyway. Most of them tend to be kind of like free and there'll be a company sponsoring it in the form of providing a location, maybe snacks and a beer or something like that. Um, but they tend to be free. There are charged ones as well, depending on what you're doing. The ones that I hosted were all all free, essentially, for people to turn up. So anyone from the public really could turn up. But it tended to be a lot of people from companies in the area, I'd say, and people working in similar roles, which is quite cool. Didn't even know about meetup.com. So I'll, I'll definitely just have a, a look at that and just see what sort of stuff's on there. That would be really interesting. Yeah, check it out. There's, there's a bunch of stuff. I think a lot of the really awesome groups are in London, but there's a lot more around now as well. Obviously, coronavirus has impacted things quite significantly, but there's still virtual versions of stuff happening as well. So I was going to ask you about when you've you've gone for these jobs or even when you were approached by AstraZeneca, what was the interview process? What sort of things for these sort of software engineer, innovation technologists, what are they asking you to do practical things? Is it specific questions? Like how how do they ascertain whether they want to employ you? Sure. So I think obviously it's going to vary by company and company. And even, you know, the hiring manager within a company could be doing it in a different way. At AstraZeneca, it was kind of a phone interview, which was a bit more about, you know, background, the kinds of projects that you work on, and uh, then separately a bit of a, a values interview as they call it there so that's more determining if you work in the kind of way that would mesh with their values really normally for any kind of software engineering role i think you would have uh what's called like a whiteboard test which i, I was dreading having to do one of those uh that would typically be the on a whiteboard solve some kind of algorithm type thing i was quite fortunate here in that i had um enough existing projects and things that i could show to prove my technical skills there uh, and enough references to back that up as well that I managed to avoid a large chunk of that. But I think that's that's one thing that happens for software engineers in particular that I don't like in the, the job market is these, I guess, unrealistic whiteboard tests. So typically uh, in your day-to-day -day work, you'd have access to things like Google. Um, you can go and look up kind of answers to questions and stuff. And certainly for my development methodology, um, I would very much rely on always being able to look at the documentation for any given programming language or SDK. Uh, and in these interviews, it might be that you're asked to solve these problems without access to that. And that is just something that happens in the industry, I guess. And it's, uh, it's a bit annoying. But yeah, you've got to just memorize all of that stuff before you go in and try and determine what kind of questions they're going to ask you. Some companies are better at that than others. Um, but I would say if you get the opportunity to do something like a take home project, that would be much better for me. Well, that would be much better from my perspective than a whiteboard interview, just because I, I completely rely on the internet to do any kind of development at all, really. Uh, other than like my core programming languages, I just am incapable of memorizing all of the specifics of, uh, of it.
Mm. Uh, is, is there any programming language in particular that you mainly use and focus on for your job? So, no, I, I really do use any, and that's something that we, we need in the labs, uh, in our team in particular, is you really can't focus on any one language uh, because that will just slow you down too too much. It could be, you know, JavaScript writing a website one day through to, you know, some .NET integration the other day through to using Python and a new language or new framework after that. It It's really important that you can pick up and use any language at all. Um, and, you know, for an experienced software engineer, that shouldn't be a difficult thing. You should be able to learn like a new new language pretty pretty quickly just because they're all quite similar. It just takes time to become an expert. But for a lot of what we're doing, you don't need to be an expert in that language. If there's already a library or SDK that solves most of the problem that you're trying to solve, it's much better for you to be able to pick that up than use that one language that you're really comfortable with, but you've got to re-implement that entire library from scratch. So yeah, a lot of what we do is more about any language, any framework, you need to be able to pick it up and just use it. Yeah. I know you've mentioned Google being like a, a really sort of valuable uh, resource. And I know a lot of software engineers and developers, that is their go-to if they're unsure about anything. But are there any other specific resources or places that you would recommend to people that if they wanted to go and find out about a particular programming language or how to do stuff, where you would recommend that they maybe look in the first instance? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it depends as well on experience level. So for me, I have managed to get to a skill level where I would know if an answer that you get from somewhere on Google, be it Stack Overflow or some random forum, is a good one or not. That's a key thing. So it's not blindly copying and pasting code. You need to understand what it is. And really, the lookup there is just a reference point. If you want to see example projects and things, places like GitHub are absolutely invaluable. There's so many open source projects on there where someone will probably have had a go at doing something similar to the problem you're solving. And you can get a look at a whole bunch of different architectures and ways of implementing that stuff. So you could be looking directly on the GitHub website, or you could be, again, finding it through Google or another search engine to, to get there. But I would say, make sure you understand like at least enough about the language to know what is a sensible thing to do or not. And again, security and things, something that you've got to be very aware of, like I guess in the enterprise, but when copying and pasting code, just making sure that it's not something malicious or something horrendously unoptimized, really. Like that's the level you need to get to from an understanding point of view. And from there, just look at many different projects, many different architectures and ways of doing things, which again, GitHub and other similar websites, you can see so much of that in open source projects now. Yeah, and I think what you said about making sure you understand it first is really valuable because if you're at school now, you probably love it because the whole curriculum has changed to a computing curriculum at, at Key Stage 3. And then the only like GCSE computer related is computer science we do at GCSE now. So it very much match up with kind of like your interests when you were at school. So they do learn programming language and text-based one we mainly focus on is Python in school. Right. And we do do mini projects and stuff. But I think what you are saying in terms of uh, the understanding, and because I know at GCSE, it might be like there's just a mini project to do. And a lot of students will go, oh, um, I'll have a look on Google, which, you know, they're allowed to. That is absolutely fine. 
but sometimes I find they just blindly copy and paste code. They don't really understand or haven't really gone through it and looked at it enough to go, oh, what is going on? And they just whack it in there, <laughs> they whack it in their main program. And, and it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I think they need to really understand how it's working. And I've gone through that process of, of reading it through step by step so that they've got a good understanding of, of what it's actually doing. Yeah. And yes, that's, that's absolutely uh, essential. And I think, yeah, if you spend enough time with the language itself, you can understand or any, any language, really, a lot of programming languages are different ways of doing essentially loops and kind of logical checks, really. Um, It's just the syntax and way of doing things that are slightly different between them. But if you can get a, a good grasp of like the underlying commands and syntax of that programming language, then you should be able to go to a website like Stack Overflow uh, and see the answer and determine if it's something that you want to use or not. And it's not quite so bad now, but I do remember with Python uh, when it was kind of transitioning between Python 2 and Python 3, that was certainly something that would have made it harder to uh, just Google for things because the syntax wasn't necessarily... um, it didn't quite line up. So if you're just trying to blindly copy and paste without understanding uh, what you're doing there, yeah, it just, it would not work. Mm. How did you go about learning your programming skills? I know you started sort of tinkering early on, but what did you, was it like getting a book? Was it just looking online? It was really playing with stuff. So I remember before going to university, I wanted to be a a games programmer uh, for a while before I got uh, advised to avoid that by many people. Um, But yeah, it was me playing around making games and stuff like that. And I didn't truly start properly programming, I would say, until uh, I was in university, really. And I was lucky in that my course covered so many different types of programming language as well to to a stage where it makes me feel very comfortable picking up pretty much any language. They made sure we'd covered functional things from your standard uh, procedural ones through to object orientated things that that was what truly got me to understand how this stuff works. Um, but really it's putting in the time and playing with many, many different languages. Uh, I think it's difficult to become good at any one language unless you've at least had exposure to several of them so that you understand the different ways of doing stuff across these frameworks. Like everybody should at least look at a functional programming language like Haskell or something like that, just because that will then improve for example, your JavaScript programming, if you've got an idea of how these different languages work and their different approaches to it, uh, that's that's something that's really valuable. Yeah, that's some really good advice. I just want to pick up on, you mentioned about uh, you wanted to kind of go into the games industry and be a games developer, which I'm sure a lot of youngsters in school, they're probably, you know, they spend a lot of time playing games and they're like, yeah, I want want to make games myself. Why were you advised (laughs) against that? So, I mean, it really depends on what you're doing, I guess, and, and and what you want to do. But I would say from my experience and what I have at least seen of the gaming industry from a programming perspective, it's very much going to be a very difficult job in terms of a lot of what you need to do uh, will be, from a programming perspective, will be really technical. So you do need to have absolutely nailed the maths if you want to be working on like a graphics engine um that's difficult complicated stuff and the pay is not competitive at all compared to other industries so it's something that everybody kind of wants to go into i guess now so there's a massive 
number of people trying to get into that industry and there's not much incentive to then pay for it. So you could end up with a a web developer doing something a lot simpler to an extent, uh, earning more than somebody doing something really complicated in C++ code, uh, working on, you know, the Unreal Engine or whatever. So that that's one thing to be aware of. You really do need to be passionate. And also, typically, the hours are very, very long. If you're working in like a, a AAA game studio, there's something called crunch time, which is when um, a game's close to being released. You might have heard of this with um, some of the recent games from CG Project Red coming out. But the game gets close to release. It's not quite ready. Everybody's working 17-hour days to, to kind of like get it done. It's If you're really into it and that is what you want to do, then yeah, absolutely go for it. Or if you manage to work for perhaps a smaller studio with more reasonable hours, that, that would be something that's really brilliant. But it is tough work and if uh certainly if you're looking for that monetary reward you'll probably find it easier to go into a different industry and again i'm lucky in that i kind of get to work with game engines and stuff now because some of the virtual reality and augmented reality work i'm doing it's the same principle so it might be for like an enterprise use case for example training so we have it so that somebody can uh use some factory equipment to do training but it's still built in a game engine um but yeah, again, it's perhaps much more reasonable hours and things like that. Yeah. Before I went into teaching, I worked for Codemasters uh, doing some of their games testing. And I then, I can remember at the time, so I, I, got my, I got the job in school as an IT technician. And I would kind of thought about going and teaching because I was, I was going into classes helping out, which is probably when I first met you. I, I was coming into classes and helping out and stuff. And at the same time as considering going and teaching, I also had an interview for a web developer at uh, Codemaster. So they're offering a web developer, which is, was like, oh, this, you know, this is great. Um, really interested in doing that. And they, the starting salary from memory, I think, was £17,000, all right, which uh, this was going back like 15 years ago or something like that. Uh, which starting salary, I was thinking, oh, that's not too bad. But then on the flip side, it was like, I'll go into teaching. And after I've done my first year, once I was qualified, the starting salary was like, I can't remember what it was exactly, let's say £23,000, which is obviously a, a big gap. And it was a really sort of tough decision that I had to make between the two. They offered me the job at Codemasters, and I had to, I turned it down because I was really enjoying what I was doing in school. and. And also bearing in mind the sort of the starting salary as well, I thought, ah, oh, you know, there's, there's a big gap there between. Can you kind of like talk a little bit about pay scales and for software engineers, what the kind of starting salaries are looking like and, and where you can go to from there? Sure. Yeah. So it'll vary massively and it depends what kind of um, thing you're developing. For example, a web developer might be paid on a completely different scale to like an embedded uh, software engineer, like somebody writing code to go onto uh, like an actual device or something like that. Um, one of the things that you might be able to do if, if you can find it, if you can get like an apprenticeship course that's kind of going over that software engineering skills, you wouldn't even have to necessarily pay for university. That wasn't an option when I went through uni. It was uni or nothing. But um, 
that could give you like a starting salary of around like that 21k kind of thing i guess for the apprenticeship thing but you're not paying your university fees and you're still getting a degree out of it and you're being paid at the end of all of that yeah it it will really vary i'd want to say like starting salary i'd guess for a junior position is going to be around the 30k mark ish it might be a bit less but it it depends on the company and how much they they let you grow as well so i went in it was yeah more in the testing role but still with like the software engineering team i was definitely paid less in my first role but that was because they were giving me a bunch of extra training and things like that and after that two years of that graduate role my pay went up by about 50 percent or so um just by transitioning then into a proper a proper software engineering role of being like a, a true part of the team and having completed all of the training it i mean if you look at like senior positions and stuff i guess it, it could be very high like up in the like 70k kind of range or so but it will vary drastically depending on on what you're doing and i think a lot of people as they um get older might want to transition more into the management of a team so doing less of the actual programming themselves and going down that kind of route so like either a lead developer and they're still doing programming which would pay a lot more or going into the pure managementy type role which i'm i'm less interested in i want to be working on the technology and with the technology as much as i can yeah so that kind of leads me into uh the next thing i want to know is what, what your future aspirations where do you see yourself going from where you are now so yeah i i'm quite happy in the labs right now and i definitely want to keep on doing stuff there but be it um managing more of a team but getting to work on the technology that's kind of the thing we could do there or possibly specializing in a particular area of technology and moving to that maybe i get to do something more with virtual reality for example in um five years time that could be quite quite interesting beyond that for me i am i'm very much someone who wants to be using the technology so i'm I'm happy not having a senior management position um with a bunch of employees just because i want to always be using the tech uh, and you just you don't have time for that if you're managing like a team of 12 people uh, and you've, you've got to worry about their welfare and well-being and you know the team's performance so for me, it's going to have to be technical. The only thing that might take me away from that team is perhaps creating a startup or something like that is the other kind of thing I've considered, maybe running a software as a service company that I would get to wear enough different hats and have enough different roles that might be interesting to me there anyway. Uh, I'd still get to work on some of the tech, but some of the other problems as well, because I am interested in stuff other than the technology. One of the things I get to do now is actually working with people in the business, understanding the requirements, giving presentations to like leadership teams and stuff like that. I, I'm interested in more than just the programming, but at the same time, I don't want to not be doing any programming at all. No, I know if you say to somebody, oh, a computer programmer, they imagine just someone sat in front of a computer all day, just doing code and not really sort of socializing or, or interacting with people. But I know that's not the case, but can you sort of share maybe if there's like certain qualities that you would need to, to be in the kind of job that you do aside from being technological and programming? Sure. So I think even outside of my job, but any software engineer, you, it, the social skills are still important. Like if you're not willing to talk to people, uh, then all you're going to be able to do is 
that somebody has given you a technical specification and you are implementing it. What will really happen with the development of any kind of software is it's going to be coming from requirements from a person, a human being, and users in the business, particularly if they don't understand the technology, they're not necessarily going to be able to vocalize exactly what it is that they want. So if you just take it at face value, you're probably going to end up developing the wrong thing, even if it's technically correct and what they asked for. So it's really important to be able to talk to people and dig down into the details of what is the real problem that you need to be solving here. And that yeah involves a bit of business analysis skills, speaking to people and stuff like that. You need to be able to talk to your teammates. Like if you're just working by yourself on a single project, yeah, maybe you don't need to do that. But realistically, you're going to be working with many different teams building different parts of a larger solution here. And you need to be able to describe as succinctly as possible what it is that you're doing, the problems that you've got, what you need from the other teams. And yeah, that there's a big social skill set you still need there. Uh, and that is important to to work on as well as the technical skills. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, you were just kind of like mentioned about all of this, basically like the planning stage, the precursor before anybody sort of jumps on a computer and, and starts just doing the project. So what are the, apart from like meetings and, and sort of digging down into the, the client to ensure that their brief is exactly what um, it should be before you start developing anything or creating anything. What other planning aspects are involved in that stage? So it, it really, it really depends. Luckily, when I'm working on a proof of concept, there tends to be less planning needed because we're doing stuff um, quick and dirty, so to speak. So it is really like maybe even less than five days, we need to have built something and shown it to to the user to get that feedback as quickly as we can. But beyond that, it's using, so if you're on a bigger project, it would be doing things like making sure you've got wireframes and working through like the user interface with them on paper. You could even have like a piece of paper there and like post-it notes all over it to go. So how do you expect the flow for this kind of like thing to work? What exactly are you trying to do? And it really is just about extracting the requirements of what the user needs, not what they're saying they want. And that that should be done really before any programming even starts, unless it is a a bit of technology that you're trying to prove, which is a bit different, perhaps, to building an application to solve a problem. Yeah, and when you mentioned wireframe, basically you're talking like a, a visualization on paper, right? Like a drawing showing what it's going to look like. Yeah. So traditionally, it'd be on paper. A lot of it now uh, is digital but essentially faking the application and how it looks really uh, so that you're showing them like the, the the person who's going to be using this software hey here's how it could look and yeah it could be on paper there as i say like a bit of a3 paper is what we've done in the past getting like a few markers and drawing it drawing the interface out the different windows and things like that where the buttons will be just to get that logical flow of how do you want a user to be flowing through your application and doing different things because if you just start trying to program it from a technical perspective sometimes you might put a whole bunch of work into that and find out this just isn't a great user experience is the word that tends to to get used ux this just isn't great it doesn't flow right it's not going to be good for the users and yeah doing stuff like that wireframing up front is is really important apple are traditionally really good at the ux side of things if you look at uh, an, a traditional Apple application, it tends to have as fewer 
buttons and clicks as possible. Um, and that's because they, they spend a lot of time and investment and do a lot of research into that UX and the experience of the user of how is someone going to flow through the application to get to the result that they're trying to get to with as little input from them as possible. Yeah. And I think you, you, sometimes we kind of, uh, and a lot of people will probably think, oh, they've just, it's just the simplicity in it is actually taking a lot of time to get to that point. And they haven't just gone, yeah, I'm just going to make it simple and just put one button there or, or whatever it is. And thinking about students in school at the moment, I think the first instinct is, right, I've got this brief. I'm going to jump up. I'm going to go and create it straight away. And actually, the, the planning part, even though that might be seen as kind of like, oh, the boring part, is really important because otherwise you're going to, you, because you're going to save yourself a lot of time, aren't you, when you, when you actually Yeah, it, it is. Whether it's a school project and, you know, you think it's going to take, you know, I don't know, 10 hours to complete or whatever, even then planning can save you a bit of time. But that is amplified massively as well. If you're working on a, a massive project, and particularly if it's like a team of people or many teams of people, so you're at a larger company uh, doing some software development there, if you've not planned it out properly in advance, you're going to be wasting massive, massive amounts of time. And obviously, time is money. So there's going to be significant investments wasted there. So yeah, the planning is essential, be it a tiny project really, or or a massive one. Yeah. Now, I know you've you've mentioned about doing stuff on the side. So can you talk about any of these like mini projects you've worked on that you're really proud of? Sure. So, I mean, it, it really could be anything. So it, it's a few years old, but one that um, I'm still using even like today is um, an artificial intelligence machine learning one. But um, my house, unfortunately, was burgled. It was a few years ago now, but that's not a great feeling when, you know, someone's broken into your house. So it went a bit crazy with the security system. And um, I, at the time, I felt there weren't that many great smart cameras out there. But what we've done is installed a dumb security system on there. So basically, it's just recording. And it could do like motion detection, I guess, as somebody's walking, except, you know, a spider walks across the lens. It'll think that's motion. Like it's raining. That's a whole bunch of motion. So it's kind of useless. One of the side projects I've got was basically um, using artificial intelligence to determine whether there's actually a person there. And then again, trying to identify who it is, like, is it a member of the family or is it a stranger kind of thing? So that what I end up with is a, um, it spits it out as a file, I should give it a nice interface or something, but essentially telling me the timestamps of that, you should really check the footage at these times to see if there's something interesting there, because that's where I think, you know, there's some random stranger in the back garden maybe you should check that out. So that's like one of the projects that I'm working on. And then other than that, it tends to just be tons of projects related to different technologies, really. Uh, so as like a new framework comes out, I'll want to test it out. So I'll just do something small to scratch that itch and learn about how it works, really. Yeah, that's, that sounds great projects. And are these things that you keep yourself for? I know you mentioned like GitHub and stuff. Do you, do you make any of your projects open source and, and put them out there to the world for other people? Yeah, so... Some of them are out there. I'd say most of them tend to remain private to me uh, because they are more like learning projects and something that I'm trying to like build. But yeah, some of the some of the bigger ones are out there. And yeah, you can view them on GitHub tends to be where I put my public projects and GitLab is where I tend to host my private repositories. All right. Brilliant. Is there anything that I haven't asked you or you think would be useful to share with the listeners 
Uh, I think we've I think we've gone over most of it. But as I say, for me, I think with any kind of role where you get to work on something interesting, like with innovative technologies and stuff, it really is about putting in that time outside of your job or outside of school as well to to really learn about it and play with this technology. I think that's really important for understanding where things are going as well, because stuff is changing rapidly now. Even if you just want to be a web developer right now, the frameworks coming out, it feels like there's a new massive framework, which is the new thing you must be using every six months or so, uh, and that you need to relearn basically. So I think it's really important to to be continually aware about new technologies and what's happening out there, regardless of whether you get a chance to look at that in your job or not, just because otherwise you run the risk of becoming kind of a bit obsolete and yeah, nobody would like to have their job removed by a new technology coming in. But I think you can stay on top of that and move into new uh, exciting roles just by being aware of the technology and the trends of where things are going. Yeah, and I think that's why uh, like for me as well, like this sector in particular is really interesting to me. And, and one of the reasons why I like to teach computing is because everything's changing and, it, and it's rapid and I enjoy learning myself as well. So I like to find out about these new things and it's not kind of, it, it's not, a, it's not static. And maybe you could say for like some of other subjects that you might study in school, maybe you could go and you, you learn it and then, and that's it. Whereas with computing, it's just it's constantly evolving, it's constantly changing. And, and I, I like the fact that I'm having to sort of relearn things or learn new things all the time. Yeah, and I think it's starting to really influence pretty much every job you go into now as well. So even if you don't want to go into a technology related job after, say you want to be a scientist in the labs at a pharmaceutical company, your work is still going to be massively impacted by technology and the changes that are happening there. So I, I do think it's important for everybody, whether it's at school or maybe still just going into the workplace or whatever, you still need to be aware of technology and where it is going, just because it's going to affect everybody's jobs and everybody's lives and what we what we do going forwards. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that's the, the message I tried to get across to people as well, especially uh, students who are kind of thinking about their options and what they want to study further. And I think computer science is, is as you said, it's, uh, it influences everything. And it's, in, it's, it's not just its own sector, it, it's part of everything now. And just developing that knowledge and those problem solving skills is definitely going to benefit everyone, I think, moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've touched on this a little bit, but have you got any idea of where you think your job is going or what it might evolve to look like in the future? Yeah, I guess my job, I could move into a few places. So I think the there's always going to be a place for these like innovation labs within a company. It just it makes sense if you've got a team that can provide insights and explore what's possible without needing to invest massive sums of money with an external company. As for me, I don't know. I'm enjoying the company I'm at now. So maybe I end up working in a more specialized team looking at any one of these particular interesting technologies. Obviously, I get to play with many different types of tech right now. It might be that one of those comes across my desk one day where I'm going, this is what I want to be working on full time. So I know that's happened for some people who used to be in the labs, for example, who are now like looking at things like data science and machine learning and stuff. 
Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of thing comes up again, where, again, I want to specialise in something like that. It's a great answer. And I think based on the whole conversation, it's all about following your interests, isn't it? If, if it's something you're passionate about, then it's definitely something you should pursue when you're, um, you're, you're thinking about what you might do with your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've got to do something that you enjoy as well. Um, a job is always going to be a job, even if you're doing what you love. Sometimes it's going to be really hard work. But if you can work on something you enjoy and you do get a, a bit of tech that comes across your desk one day that you, you find interesting, I think it's really important to pursue it and look for opportunities where you do get to work with it. And you might not be able to do that all of the time. But if you can get part of your role to be focused around that it can just give you a lot more enjoyment and you can be excited to go to work each day rather than dreading it and as a way of just getting some money to fund the stuff that you do want to do yeah definitely well so, i mean we've been chatting for quite a while now i think uh, we'll can probably wrap it up now i think we've covered everything but i just want to say a massive thanks for joining me on the podcast taking some time of your weekend because i know your your wife's due soon so you're expecting Any day another, now. Yeah, yeah another addition to the family so i really appreciate your time it's been great to have an insight into what you've done since school and uh, i'm just really pleased to hear about what you're doing now and and how you've developed from leaving school it's uh, it's just really really good to hear about these stories oh thanks for having me it's been a pleasure catching up with you well, stay in touch because I'd, uh, I'd love to see what you, you're going to do next or, or, you know, how you evolve into your role. But um, if the, any of the listeners want to find out a, a bit more or want to find you online, where can they go to connect with you? Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn. You can just uh, search for Andy Aldroyd and you'll be able to find me that way. Um, and if you happen to be in the Cambridge area after the whole pandemic's over, maybe we can catch up at one of those meetups that I attend. So. Perfect. And can, and can people search your name on Meetup or how do they find out about the ones that you're running? Yeah, it's geographically set up, I guess. But if you if you happen to be in the area, you can just type in and search for all Meetups in that postcode or you can search like on a, a topic name. So I tend to attend most of the, the tech related ones. So any of those, you search for the area that you're interested, for example, data science, and you'll see what pops up that way perfect that's uh brilliant well you know if i'm in the area i will uh, definitely give you a shout and see if uh, there's any of these meetups going on and we can we can have a catch up then as well sounds great all right i won't take up any more of your time enjoy your weekend and yeah just a massive thanks again <laughs> no worries it was really good catching up with you and yeah we'll need to catch up again soon brilliant all right thanks andrew take care thanks Cheers. bye all right bye